Hey, welcome back to Well, That's Interesting, the Sounds Crazy Even for This Show, Please Tell Me More edition. <laughs> Today is episode 132, Two Scottish Mummies Made of Six People and the Largest Penguin to Ever Exist So Far. My friends, oh, what a day. What, what a day it is. And I know I say that phrase a lot around these parts, but boy howdy. I really fucking mean it each damn time, and this time is no damn different. In the first half of the show, pack your bags and throw them in your time machine. We're heading to Scotland thousands of years ago. At that time, in a very special place, a few loved individuals were buried, only to be discovered recently. And my friends, between the DNA tests and carbon dating, who they were and who they were composed of has rewritten human history in this part of the world and unleashed a shit ton of more questions to be answered in the future. We will get into it. It's wild. Then after the break, oh my God, my friends, my beautiful business geese, I'm tearing up already and I haven't even started. <laughs> my heart absolutely exploded with joy when I came across a particular New York Times article with the following news. Not one but two inconceivably large skeletons have been unearthed in gorgeous New Zealand. And one of them, yeah, is very big and it broke records. But the other, just hold on to your cloaca. That other skeleton belongs to the largest penguin to have ever existed so far. And it's big. It's really big. And I cannot wait to break down just how big and compare it to penguins of today. It's so damn exciting. I'm excited, and I'm Jill Chacha. And speaking of penguins, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the Flock Business Goose. Oh, and if you have no clue why I'm calling you that or why I'm thrilled about this discovery, brace yourself. The literal translation of penguin in Mandarin is business goose. Yeah, just let that settle in. And I brought this up many moons ago, many episodes ago, and it just stuck. I'm just using it. So welcome. And I hope you packed your bags by now because we're heading on over to a super fucking unique island in the Outer Hebrides off the west coast of Scotland, a place called South Uist. Now, what the hell did I just say? And where is this place exactly? Well, for my geographically challenged Americans, uh, don't worry, I've got you. Please imagine England. All right, thank you, darling. Now point to it and please move your finger north. Here is Scotland. Uh, dip your finger in the creamy center. Fabulous. Now move your finger west over the Hebrides Sea, and there you'll find South Uist. Now our overlord Google simply describes this area as a, quote, scenic, secluded island featuring white sand beaches, a nature reserve, and archaeological remains. Period. End quote. That's it. One sentence. And my friends, this mere sentence does not, and I mean it does not, do this place justice. For you see, 3,000 goddamn years ago, in ye old Bronze Age, this island was home to a smattering of tiny villages and scattered roundhouses. Back in 2001, which feels like 3,000 years ago, archaeologist Mike Parker Pearson of University College London was doing what archaeologists do best, just having the goddamn time of his life digging around an area called Clad Holland, upon which 
once upon a time, three roundhouses once, once stood. Now, I'm just going to drop a bomb on you real quick. Uh, one big deal about these homes in Clad Holland, bodies were found in the walls and in the foundations. Yeah, I'll say that again. Bodies were found in the walls and underneath the houses. Um, two of the bodies were, quote, those of a man and a woman found in tight fetal positions as if they had been tightly wrapped up, reminiscent of mummy bundles seen in South America and other parts of the world. These bodies were apparently mummified on purpose, the first evidence of deliberate mummification in the ancient old world outside of Egypt. End quote. That was from NBCNews.com. So yes, my friends, archaeologist Mike went on to confirm, telling archaeology.org, quote, mummification has been surprisingly widespread throughout world history, but this is the first time we've seen clear evidence that it was employed during the Bronze Age on the British Isles. End quote. So this is the first evidence of mummification in Britain, and that's a big deal. And you know what? That's not even the biggest goddamn deal here. <laughs> That's just the start. Now, I could go on to tell you a few more amazing things about these homes, but, you know, just to set up where we're going with this, as you can see in the title, but I thought, you know what, let's just get an equal parts polite, smug, and amazed British person to do it for us. Ah, so join me, will you, on the tube of you, YouTube, and please search Clad Holland of NWTV. That's C L A D H. H-A-L-L-A-N, Clad Holland of NWTV. And behold, the strangest, most wonderful video I've seen yet. Um, I'll have a screenshot of this brilliance on our social media stuffs if for some reason there's something more important to look at than this, which, by the way, there isn't. So please come on by and check out that uh, screenshot. I'll also do you a solid and describe the one and only camera angle that goes on for seven minutes, if you can't check it out. Uh, we're only going to listen to four minutes of this video, but for that entire time and beyond, the camera is on a crane, so it's an overhead shot overlooking a green field with one tiny British gentleman in a sweater in the middle of that field, and he's scampering back and forth out of breath. <laughs> That's the entire video. Uh, let's have a listen to it as he describes... Just some of the amazing facts about this place and who was found here. So I'm pulling it up right now and uh, enjoy. These are the Hallin Roundhouses on the island of Southeast in the Outer Hebrides. They date back to about 1800 BC. One of them was in use for nearly 800 years, one of the longest. Uh, lasting habitations from that period. They contain some fascinating finds. For example, the archaeologists discovered by the location of the various objects that were in the house that the building was built to face towards the sun. And as the sun passed across the sky, so the sunlight coming into the building would, would move. And the different occupations for the day were dotted around the house so that each one would be lit up just at the moment when it would be needed. Breakfast over here, supper over there, weaving during the day over here, uh, you know, all the different artifacts for the, the day's use were lined up around the house to take advantage of the lighting. But 
That wasn't the only remarkable thing. When the archaeologists came to excavate these houses, one, two, and three, they discovered that buried under the walls of the houses were bodies. In this one, underneath the wall, was the body of an eight-year-old girl. And its position was such that the archaeologists concluded that the eight-year-old girl had been buried as a foundation sacrifice to ensure the good luck and fortune for the house. And then over here, in this third house, they discovered the rotting body of a one-year-old child. Now, don't ask me how they knew it was rotting. I presume it was because the bones were disarticulated, that they were starting to fall apart. And that's why the archaeologists decided that it was rotting rather than just a burial. But again, why had it been buried there? Why had it been left until it was rotting? And the archaeologists could only conclude that again, there was a sacrificial element involved. But perhaps the most grisly of all the finds was back here at this first house. Because lying here was the body of a 45 to 60-year-old woman. And just over here was the body of a man. And as the archaeologists studied these bodies forensically, they discovered that although all they saw was bones, these bodies had in fact been mummified. At some point in time, these bodies had been placed in a peat bog soon after death in order to be preserved. Now, we all know about the famous peat men, peat bodies. There's some in Ireland. There's Tolland Man, and for example, in Denmark. These bodies have been left in the peat for perhaps 18 months or even longer until they had been mummified and preserved. And then they were dug up and brought back and placed in these houses and were only buried one or two hundred years later. What's that all about? Yes, my friends. <laughs> what the hell is that all about? Now, I know we just brought up dead children, but we're not going to talk about those today. We're going to talk about uh, those two other individuals. So we're just going to ignore the dead kids. My friends, what in the holy hell is this all about? Well, to answer this question, archaeologist Mike had to do a bit more digging, forensically speaking. And the answers, of course, are fucking wild. Let's get into it. Now, if you're curious about how, how the fuck a bog works, it's magic, and what Pete is exactly, don't worry, I got you, uh, from James Felton of IFL Science, quote, Pete is created through the decomposition of organic matter, largely, largely from, I got this, largely from plant material such as moss. In particular, when sphagnum moss, ooh, sphagnum, that's a terrible word. It's very uncomfortable. Let's say it together. Sphagnum. <laughs> yeah. In particular, when sphagnum moss accumulates enough in wetlands to form a bog, the layers of peat form acids that are incredibly good at preserving bodies. These plants acidify the soil while also releasing a compound that binds to nitrogen, depriving the area of nutrients. Caroline Marshall explained in a TED Talk. Along, <clears throat> alongside cold northern European temperatures, these conditions make it impossible for most microbes to function. 
With nothing to break the material down, the dead mosses pile up, preventing oxygen from entering the bog. The result is a naturally sealed system. Whatever organic matter enters the peat bog just sits there. End quote. So there you have it, my friends. These two bodies were deliberately dipped, sealed, and marinated, then brought back home. So please, come on by our social media stuffs and take a look at one of them. That's right. I'm actually going to do that right now. I'm pulling it up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at a, a skeleton. I'm looking at a rouge-colored skeleton uh, totally buried in one of the foundations, and it's huddled in a fetal position. Okay. Uh, my friends, here is where it gets weird. Yeah, I just said right now it gets weird. Uh, just by looking at the two bodies, uh, archaeologist Mike knew something was not quite right. The lower jaw of the male skeleton had all its teeth, while the upper jaw, you guessed it, had no teeth at all. In the female skeleton, according to Terry Brown, professor of biomedical archaeology at the University of Manchester, quote, the jaw didn't fit into the rest of the skull, end quote. Uh, furthermore, with the dude, NBC News reported evidence of arthritis being seen on the vertebra of the neck, but not on the rest of the spine. Hmm, so my friends, I know what you're thinking. This, we should really look into this. Some, someone should look into this. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But this was 2001. And DNA technology and genealogy was absolute shite. These bodies couldn't be properly analyzed until 2013 and 2015. But my friends, I think the wait was totally worth it. My friends, drumroll please. DNA from the skull, lower jaw, right upper arm, and right thigh bone of the female skeleton revealed that the lower jaw, arm bone, and thigh bone all came from different people. That's three different people. Unfortunately, the results for the skull were inconclusive, but don't you worry, we've got a total other skeleton to look into. My friends, this dude was three dudes. The skeleton's torso, skull, neck, and lower jaw belong to three separate men. We also know that everyone, all six people, did not share the same mother. They were, however, definitely related, and their relations spanned generations fucking hold on to something nailed down. Get this. From IFL Science, quote, one of the skeletons was assembled between 1260 BCE and 1440 BCE, while the other was Frankensteined between 1130 BCE and 1310 BCE. End quote. Yeah, let that, let that settle in too. So uh, I know what you're thinking. Why? Why, why in the holy hell would you bog a person, or actually six people, and then stitch them together and do this whole process for over 200 years? The answer? Love. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. It's not love. <laughs> well, maybe a little. But there's a good chance it's about ownership. Archaeologist Mike told archaeology.org, quote, at a time when land ownership communal rather than private, most likely, was being marked by the construction of large-scale large field systems, rights to land would have depended on ancestral claims. So perhaps having the ancestors around in the flesh was their prehistoric equivalent of a legal document. 
Merging different body parts of ancestors into one single person could represent the merging of different families and their lines of descent. End quote. So, my friends, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think having a body or several bodies in your house is a, is a great way of proving you're involved with them personally. I don't think someone will argue with you uh, when you whip out a 200-year-old patchwork of limbs. Keep the fucking house, dude. I don't... <laughs> keep it. After the break, calling all business geese. You won't fucking believe this. Fossils found in New Zealand suggest that, after the reign of the dinosaurs, a new boss rolled into town and they were fucking massive. My friends, they were massive fucking penguins. Get stoked and stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, Jill Chacha here from Well That's Interesting, and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you about Spotify for Podcasters. I use it, I love it, and it all started by downloading the free Spotify for Podcasters app, which has all the tools you need in one place to record and edit your masterpiece of a podcast. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your show to all major platforms. So when you hit publish, your episodes will stream not only on Spotify, but I'm talking about the Apples, the Googles, Stitcher, Good Pods, the other ones. <laughs> you get the idea. And you can monetize your podcast with no minimum listenership required. You could also set up monthly subscriptions and record ads just like this one. So what are you waiting for? Download Spotify for Podcasters today and start changing the world. Oh, and please, stay interesting. 20th Century Studios presents Vacation Friends 2. Now streaming only on Hulu. Look at us all together again. We just wanted to give you guys a real honeymoon. Shots! 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 Now streaming. He was just released from jail. Where can I get a drink around here? Back on vacation. This place is nice. It's drug lord nice. I'm sorry, drug lord nice? With more baggage. Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing vacation into total chaos. Who does that? Vacation Friends 2. Rated R. Now streaming only on Hulu. Wait, are you gaming? On a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120Hz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, we're leaving one island 
for another. New Zealand's South Island, to be exact, and we're actually going to get more specific. We are in the southeastern region called Otago, and boy howdy. The beaches here are home to some of the most unique rocks in the world. I know, I said rocks, but you gotta stick with me here. Head on over to our social media stuffs and behold, you can also image search Otago Beaches cannonball-shaped concretions. I'll say that again, Otago Beaches cannonball-shaped concretions, and you'll see dozens upon dozens of round rocks. Now that does not sound impressive, but holy shit, keep digging. Take a look at one of these in comparison to the size of a person. You'll get a better idea of just how large these things are. According to NewZealand.com, quote, each boulder weighs several tons and is up to two meters high or six feet tall. Scientists explain the boulders as calcite concretions, which formed about 65 million years ago. According to Moari legend, the boulders are gourds washed ashore from the great voyaging canoe Arete Uru when it was wrecked upon landfall in New Zealand hundreds of years ago, end quote. And I'm from Brooklyn, and that is the best pronunciation uh, you're going to get right now. So <laughs> my apologies. So yeah, these things are massive and old. We're talking 50 to 65 million years ago. And if you zoom in, on some of the pictures, you'll see over time, they've gotten a crack or two. And believe it or not, back in 2017, a few of these cracks in two of these boulders revealed a hidden treasure like some ancient fucking kinder egg. A choking hazard-sized toy wasn't found inside, but it was the next best thing. A couple of bones. A couple of bones were found. And this got the attention of Alan Tennyson, a paleontologist at Museum of New Zealand, Te Papa Tangarwa, and he and a bunch of awesome nerds got to town figuring out who the hell ended up in these formations. Are you ready? I don't think you're ready. You gotta hold on to your bird-loving asses, my friends, my, my dear flock. I'm just gonna go ahead and drop this on you too. From Jack Tamisia of the New York Times, quote, Dr. Tennyson and his colleagues identified the fossilized remains of two large penguins. The humerus, uh, the humerus being the upper portion of the arm, by the way, the humerus of one was more than nine and a half inches long, nearly twice the size of those found in emperor penguins, the largest living penguin today. End quote. Oh, also, by the way, I looked up how large our fellow business geese slash emperor penguins are, and they stand four feet tall. They're fucking four feet tall. And the humerus bone of this new penguin is twice as big. Okay, put a pin in this. We're going to get to more sizes in a minute. Uh, just brace yourself. Let's continue the quote. Quote, other boulders yielded bones from a smaller, more complete penguin species that also appeared to be larger than a modern emperor penguin. The researchers described the ancient birds in the Journal of Paleontology. They named the birds, uh, sorry, they named the larger bird Kumimanu, a mashup of the Moari words for monster and bird, that's apt, and named the smaller penguin Petrodipes, or rock diver. Now, I think I said Petrodipes correctly. If I didn't, I'm just going to call it Petrodi from now on. So, again, I'm from Brooklyn. <laughs> so, my friends, 
That excerpt honestly does not do these new birds justice, so please head on over to our social media stuffs and take a look. You're going to see just how big these babies were. I will have a screenshot, a screenshot of, the, of the following. Uh, you're going to see a side-by-side -side comparison of a 3D-printed version of Kumamanu's uh, Kumam humorous bone next to it, the real humorous bone of an emperor penguin. Just take a look at it. As you can see, Kumamanu's humorous bone just absolutely dwarfs the emperor penguins by, like, a lot. So, by using this one bone, researchers were able to scale up and discovered Kumamanu probably weighed 340 pounds. Yeah, you heard me. 340 pounds. <laughs> this is a penguin. Okay. The New York Times provided a fun comparison to put this gigantic penguin into perspective. This bird is, quote, 15 pounds heavier than Lane Johnson, the right tackle anchoring the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line in the Super Bowl. End quote. So for perspective, uh, this penguin is larger than a football player. Yeah. Okay. Uh, continuing from the Times, quote, according to Daniel Sepka, a paleontologist at the Bruce Museum in Greenwich, Connecticut, and author of the new study, the Kimumanu's fragmented skeleton makes it difficult to pinpoint its height. Uh, Dr. Kespa, sorry, Dr. Sepka estimates that it stood around five feet, two inches tall, giving it a stocky build. I think that's just as a side note here, that's basically a me-sized penguin. I'm 5'3", so that's terrifying. Um, Petrotypes, or Petrod D, was not a lightweight either. Uh, it weighed 110 pounds, making it heftier than modern emperor penguins, which tops out at 88 pounds. End quote. Yeah, so uh, if this all sounds big, you're absolutely right. And being that these guys were around after the extinction of the dinos, they had very few if any predators to worry about. So as eloquently stated by Dr. Sepka, quote, if you're a little one pound penguin, a gull can just rip your head off, but a 300 pound penguin is not gonna worry about a seagull landing near it because it would just crush it, end quote. That's right. So this thing did not have to worry about birds or any other land predators. Uh, that was poetry, Doctor. Thank you. Now, although Kimomanu and Petra D were this big, they actually had primitive flippers, similar to modern flying seabirds like puffins. And you may be wondering why. But don't worry, I got you here too. Uh, Julia Clark, a paleontologist at the University of Texas at Austin, said, quote, it would make sense for early penguins like Kimomanu and Petra D to retain several features left over from their ancestors' airborne lifestyle end quote, she said to the Times. So my friends, these absolute units inherited wings for flight, but since they were free from predators and growing to these proportions, they fine-tuned these wings over millennia for aquatic purposes. Now, that's pretty dope, but I know what, you th I know what your next question is. Could there be, please, dear God, please, can there be an even bigger business goose out there? Now, I fucking believe it. I believe there is in my heart. But experts, not so much, believe it or not. Quote, I believe that Kimamanu is close to the upper limit of a flightless seabird, and I do not expect substantially larger penguins to be found, said Gerald Mayer, a paleontologist at the 
Senckenberg Research Institute in Frankfurt. Uh, Gerald said that to the Times. And you know what, Gerald? Uh, you're a fucking party pooper. So I'm just going to end this episode with Dr. Sepka's quote as it leaves the door open. Quote, once you know you're not flying anymore, the sky's the limit. End quote. Uh, you're goddamn right, doctor. I know in my heart there's a 500-pounder out there just somewhere waiting to be found. And that'll be a great fucking day. Eat it, fucking Gerald. <laughs> Sorry, that was aggressive. Thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends about um, all the mummies that are actually met multiple people. That's a thing. That was a thing. Yeah. And then uh, you could just text them that with no context. And then you could tell them, uh, follow that up about the penguins. This is, these are my friendships. I don't know what you do. But anyway, thank you. And please, stay interesting. <laughs>